Hi, and welcome to Can't Make This Shit Up, a true crime podcast. I'm Cassie. And I'm Mark, her dad, a true crime professional. I'm currently a homicide investigator in South Florida. And we hope you guys enjoy. This episode is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little spicy because you are actually going to tell one of your own cases that you got called out to. Actually, I was working the road at the time. I wasn't an investigator yet. So I was like the first responder to this call, which was originally a murder-suicide, but it was a murder with a botched suicide so but yeah so this is the first time that you're gonna hear him talking a lot more than me uh yep well we'll see all right here we go all right no announcements nothing like that well as always follow us on our social medias we're at can't make this shit up pod on instagram and we also started a facebook group so it's can't make this shit up a true crime podcast discussion group on facebook if you search that also questions We're still getting some, thank God, but we could always use more. So if you could send us some, there's a link in our bio on Instagram that you can submit questions or case suggestions, or you can always email us at can'tmakethisshituppod at gmail.com. All righty, here we go. The date of the incident, this occurred back on August 8th of 2002. It occurred in the Northwest part of Dade County which at the time was considered the Miami Lakes District or the police department there. I'd been on at that point seven years or just about seven years. I was a uh, field training officer and I was at the time training a new cadet who had just come out of the academy when we were working this shift. At that time I was working midnights and we had just come on duty at 10 o'clock. This call came out or occurred, the incident occurred right around 1230 a.m. So I'm going to go through my experience with this case and what I did and what I saw and, you know, how we handled it. And then I will discuss what the investigators found after the actual homicide detectives that came out that night and handled the investigation. Like I said, this was a, it was a murder suicide. It was a domestic call. So we'll get into it. That night I was working, like I said, I was working the road and I just conducted a traffic stop. I, unfortunately, these are one of the cases that I remember like, like it was yesterday. Like um, to a T. Yeah. I mean, every little detail, which I'll try to relay as much as I can, but some things naturally I'll, I may not be able to discuss or whatever, but. So um, is, this, is this one of those cases that like has just stuck with you your whole career? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit about that after just because of, you know, like kind of what transpired and how it went down. So um, this night turned, you know, started off like any other night. We were doing road patrol, like I said, and uh, we conducted, we had roll call and everything. And we started patrolling. We actually, when this call came out, I wasn't assigned the signal. I was actually on a traffic stop. I just conducted a traffic stop. Literally this residence occurred within like a gated community. And the main intersection right outside the main gate is where I was on a traffic stop there. So as we're, me and my trainee were going through handling the traffic call, we hear this call go out and it was an emergency call. We get dispatched when it's like an emergency call. We get like a, what's called a beep tone and the call gets dispatched and it was a... When you say a beep tone, is that like on your little radio? Yeah, it's on the radio. Because you have radios on your person and then you have radios like in the vehicle, right? The same, yeah, they're one and, and the they same. come through this. Like, it's all the same. Like you, if you're in right. the car, you hear it on the radio. And if you're outside the car, you hear it on your like person on your on your, right, on your shoulder mic or your handheld. So there's mic. a certain like beeping sound that so it alerts you. Yeah, that basically, 
Yeah, sig uh, emergency signals, it's either signal two or signal three, which I won't get into all the details of that, but that's just, um, and what happens is, is the dispatcher kind of, it gets your attention. So it's like a, it's a long beep. It's like beep, attention all units, 332 or whatever the signal may be. Uh, in this case, it was a domestic and it was a, a signal 332, which means three emergency mode. It was, you know, a, a serious call and the signal 32 is a battery or some type of battery. So the dispatcher dispatched other units that were on my squad, the other training units. And I told my my trainee or my partner, I was like, let's finish this up because the dispatcher advised us that we had gotten a couple calls on it. So usually when you have like one call or the dispatcher, like we'll ask her, you know, how many, like if it's a shots fired call, like how many calls have you received? She'll say only one. Not that it's, you know, always this way, but if it's like only one person's calling, usually it's an unfounded case. It probably didn't happen. When you have two, three, four multiple callers, you know something's going on. In this instance, the dispatcher advised that they got multiple calls from different family members calling in saying that their relative had been, uh, I don't specifically remember whether it was already broadcast to us that she had been shot, but that she was being attacked by her, the father of her child. They weren't legally married. So basically I'm just handling my traffic call, but I'm listening to all this call go out and, and the particulars of it. We clear the call. Units are already arriving. We clear my traffic stop. I get into the area pretty quickly. And when I get there, I pull up to the residence and there's a couple units there already, squad members, like I said, other field training officers. And I get out of the car and I go up to the, the officer who had the signal. And I'm like, what's, you know, like what's going on? And he said, they pulled up, they made several attempts to like the house is blacked out at this point. There's no lights on or anything. They made several attempts to knock on the door. They knocked on the windows, trying to get you know, somebody to, to open the door. And they heard, he told me, I heard a pop. Like I heard, I think it sounded like a firecracker, like a pop. I go a pop, like a, like a gunshot pop, or, you know, it is, he goes, I don't know. It didn't sound loud enough to be that, but you know, maybe, I don't know. So I'm like, okay, he was actually training a rookie as well that just came out. So there was four of us initially there, other units were in route. So we decide we hop the if you're looking at the house to the to the left of the house is like a concrete wall, like about a six foot concrete wall with an iron gate. So we hop the fence or hop the wall to go into the backyard because everything's locked up and, you know, blacked out in the front. And the front door has an iron bar, like an iron gate on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty common in Florida. But there's no but there's no bars on the window. So that was a little not odd. But you usually if you see, you know, you see bars on the window, there's, you know, bars, there's a gate or, a, you know, an iron door or whatever, a barred door for the front door. But in this case, it was an iron door. It was locked. No bars on the window. So let me ask you this, just because yeah. I don't know if because he heard that pop, would you be legally allowed to make entry into the Absolutely. home? So the only reason you didn't do that is because there was bars on the door. So like you couldn't get through that way. Well, no. Well, he didn't go in because as he explained to me initially, he said he heard the pop, but he wasn't for sure that it was a gunshot. He right. said it sounded more like a firecracker, like, you know, guns are distinctive in, in sound when they, you know, when they're fired, but when they're fired inside of a building or in a residence and you're outside and naturally the acoustics and stuff alter it. So for whatever reason, he didn't go in in that moment. So at that moment, I felt like we needed to at least look around the perimeter first and see what's going on before, you know, we did anything, you know, a, I was thinking of a safety perspective, you know, I don't want to like rush into something and then either one of us get hurt or go into something and there's nothing going on. And now we've just broken into this house. And because we do have to work within those parameters, we have to have, we're justified to go in if we believe that we, you know, somebody is injured or needs assistance, but we're legally justified to do that. But if it turns out that nobody's in there, 
then we got yeah, kind of it's like uh, you didn't have probable cause to like answer right like yeah why like why did you go in so in that moment and now all of this is happening very quickly this isn't like you know over a long span of time so we're talking like this is within the first like minute or two that i'm there we hop the wall to the left because the gate the iron gate was locked with a padlock and as soon as i go over i'm the first one that goes over there's like grass it's like kind of a long narrow pathway to go towards like the backyard on the side of a house with a gate and there's grass but there's about a foot of concrete like a, almost like a walkway on the edge of the of the building and i noticed there's bloody uh, footprints uh -oh. that go like walking from the back to the front to the wall and then from the wall back and that's never a good sign no not not a good sign at all so at this point we all well, I draw out my gun. I don't know what everybody's doing behind me, but I draw out my gun and I'm slowly going towards the back. And as you get about, I don't know the distance, about 10 or 15 feet from the wall, there's like a screened in patio or screened in porch. As soon as I clear the screen, I can see inside with my flashlight, there's a, a barbell, like a, a weightlifting barbell, a short one, like the ones you use for like curls. Yeah. Not like a handheld one, but it's an actual bar, but not the real long ones. Yeah. There's weights on one side and it's kind of like at an angle and it's covered in blood and there's a huge pool of blood and there's like a smear, like a drag mark going into the sliding glass door. So this was all on the patio that, that you see. This the is in the back. In the yeah. In the back patio inside okay. the screen, like screened in porch area. And the screened in porch was like a square. So like two sides of it were screen and then the other two sides were like sliding glass doors. Like it ended up being one sliding glass door went into the master bedroom. One sliding glass door went into kind of like the dining room kitchen. Okay. So the blood was in kind of in the center with the weights and then the smear dragged back into towards the kitchen. As soon as I light that up and I see it, I hear now, I know it's a gunshot inside and the sliding glass door had the vertical, the, the vertical slap blinds. When you heard it, like at the time... Did mm -hmm. you recognize it as a gunshot? Like yeah. now I know in hindsight, you now, know. Yeah. Yeah. In that moment I knew it was because uh, it was like literally on the other side of the glass. Okay. As soon as that happened, there was vertical blinds that were closed. As soon as the, that gunshot goes off, a hand pops through the blinds and slaps like the glass, the glass door. And the hand is bloody and it zigzags and it kind of falls to the ground and then disappears behind the blinds again. This is like from a horror movie. Right. So at that point, I, you know, we all heard it. I turned around and I said, let's go. We got to go inside. So we run back. My partner and the one trainee came over with us. The other trainee was still covering the front. They hopped the wall. I, I don't know why, but I, it's not funny, but I kicked the gate and like the, to get it to open, to open. Right. And I ripped the whole damn gate off the wall. Like it just flies off. Like if I'm fucking Superman, I don't, you know, well, honestly, it's probably a, because for those of you who don't know, he's like a big dude. Like he's six, three, just like a big guy in general. But yeah, I would imagine that adrenaline yeah. too. Like, you know, you hear those crazy stories of people who like lift cars and shit, like when right. like an emergency is going on. Right. And I mean, I've, I have kicked doors in before. So I, like, I kind of know, I don't want to say that I know, but I know where to kick doors to get them to open and stuff. Cause I know, you know, anyways, so I kick this as I'm running, I do like this kick, almost like this, um, you know, like Spartan kick, you know, this is Sparta kick type of thing. And it flies like. It almost actually hits my partner. It falls on the ground. We turn. He was, we, he was probably like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, he was. He freaked out. He like spun on me. And as soon as I get through the wall, we break the front window with our batons. And there's blind. There's like shades on the. I have a question real quick, not to interrupt you, but sure. why did you go back around to the front to make entry as opposed to doing it like through the sliding glass doors? A, because I didn't want to walk through the blood. Yeah, evidence. Well, no. Well, that, but that's. 
the whole house is a danger area, but that right there, something happened right there. And I know the guys on the other side of, or whatever that hand was, whoever's hand that was, is on the other side of that glass. So I want to have room that I can approach. It was a safer way to make entry. Yeah, just a little bit more tactical. I don't want to go running right into the line of fire. Right. I want to put myself into it at my pace or, you know, it's just, yeah, more tactical way to get in there. So we break the glass, our batons. And this time my partner goes in first and I'm covering him like through the blind. This time the bl- it's like curtains. They're not actually like the slats they are actually cloth curtains. And I'm keeping like, you know, I got my gun pointed into the house as he goes in. We can't get the door open because of the deadbolt that's on the thing. So we all end up having to go through the window. So myself, my partner and his trainee, we start approaching and where we entered was a formal dining room. So there was like a table and chairs, like formal with like a, you know, China cabinet or whatever. Just beyond it was a wall and there was a doorway leading that I can see leading into the kitchen. And then the wall was probably maybe six or eight feet. And then there was a hallway, which ended up, I didn't know this at the time, ended up going into the same, like to the kitchen dining room areas. Like, like there was two entrances to go to that part of the house. Yeah. I mean, kind of like your kitchen. Right. Yeah. We have two entries, but this happens to be like a hallway and a doorway as where ours is kind of open to the dining room. And but right. there's two ways to get in and directly to the right is a stairwell going upstairs because it's a two-story house and the house is pitch black. There's no lights on. So myself, my partner who has the call and his trainee, we start making our way into the kitchen. They go through the the doorway and I maneuver myself and go like kind of down the hallway and we're moving together and we end up, uh, well, let me back up. So we're we're starting to move that way. I instruct my trainee to cover the stairwell because I didn't want anybody coming down the stairs. Right. Yeah. I'm like startling you guys. Right. Or, or, or the bad guy coming in and, and sneaking up behind us and, you know, and getting us. So other officers were arriving, they came in. So they ended up going upstairs and clearing upstairs while we're Just, dealing with. Is it like the movies? Like when, cause obviously like it's a chaotic, like, you know, all of this is happening like at once. So right. when they're entering, do they like, I'm assuming they make like a announcement of like to let people who are already in there know that it's police entering. No, no, we weren't, we weren't saying anything because we wanted to have surprise on like, like they already knew we were there by breaking the glass. Right. We made that much noise. So somebody may have yelled police. I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't trying to make noise or, you know, I was trying to get in there as as quietly as I could so I can figure out what's going on. So we're entering, you know, we're going through and we're working off flashlights at this point where the house is still pitch black. So I go down the hallway by myself, my partner and his trainee, they kind of go and we meet in the kitchen and the kitchen opens up to like another, I guess we call it like a family room type of, there's like a little um, breakfast table, but there's also like a couch and a TV. And then there's a door that's like at an angle directly off the kitchen, which turns out to be the master bedroom. That's the one that has the sliding glass door where the hand hit the glass and, and fell. So we check that door, that doors locked so we start screaming you know open the door open door police at this point we're announcing ourselves because we're committed you know at this point right something's happening in there or happen uh, in there and that's where we need to address it i'm not worried about the back because the you know my trainee and other officers are now covering and ultimately checking the second story um and i'll get to that in a minute but so we announced you know a couple times not very long probably you know five ten seconds police 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 my partner kicks the door in or kicks the door open as he does the the door flies open and i can see the entire bedroom as to where he was kind of standing he could only see towards like the corner and the closet well the door opens and i see a female laying on the ground a male laying on top of her and then the door slammed shut because like you hit it so hard that it like slapped the wall and it came back. Okay. I, I, for a second when you said that, I was like, oh my God, somebody else was in the room. 
Well, you, well, the, the two people, the, the the two that are involved. I thought you meant somebody else like slammed the door shut. No, 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 no. He kicked it, it like it hit the. He kicked it with such force that it like slapped the wall and and ended up bouncing back closed. So I open it up. I go in and I'm going straight to. I kind of like take a position directly over the male and female. The female is naked. She has a pair of like underwear on and she's laying on her back and she's. She's posed. Her legs are kind of in a certain way. Her arms are a certain way. And I'll, I'll explain that in a moment and why that's kind of important. As I'm walking in and going to stand over him, he's like face down. I can see the gun is literally like right next to his hand, but it's not on his hand, but it's like right next to it. Like within reaching distance. Right. And as I step over him, he starts moaning. He starts. Arr. So I was like scared the shit out of me. And I said, if, if you move an inch, I'm finishing you. Because in the moment that, you know, adrenaline, because I don't know what's going on. My partner's are checking the bathroom and the closet that are to the right. We move the, the gun out of the way and secure it like in the room, like we still have it on the floor, whatever we secure it. I look up and on the wall, initially, there's this message written in red, which I thought was blood initially, like big letters. I tried to find the photo of it to remember what it said, but basically it says something to the effect like that. I gave you my life. You know, you took everything from me, blah, blah. You know, the typical, you know, if I can't have you, no one will have you type of thing. So we secure him or we secure the room. Nobody else is in the room. While we're doing that, the officers go upstairs. The victim, the female, her name was Viola Hercules. She was a, a Haitian female. Wow. She had a really cool name. Yeah. Viola Hercules. Like that's yeah. like a cool name. Yeah. And the subject who was his name was Emmanuel Etienne. He was a Haitian male as well. The victim had a six-year-old daughter who was upstairs while all this oh. was going on. Oh, my uh, God. So she, like, was there the whole time. Yeah, she heard everything. I don't know if she saw. Like, I never interviewed her or whatever. She was taken out immediately as soon as they found her. They took her out and secured her. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, family members showed up and stuff. So we got her with family and stuff. But Well, and when just out of curiosity, which I'm sure is the case. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, she was interviewed later on. But when they interview children, they probably have, like, an actual, like, somebody who's, like, trained with children. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we have we actually have a place down here called the Christie House. That is strictly for juveniles, like whether they're victims of sexual abuse or, you know, anything they go there. It's the it's run by the state attorney and they have specialists there that can get, you know, get them to talk. And, and sometimes they don't. But, you know, it's like it's all set up just for for that. I don't think she was taken there because we pretty much know what happened for the most part. Right. Um, so and unfortunately, as a road officer, you don't really know the outcome of the cases because you're not working. I just happened to this one stuck with me. And I remembered it and I looked it up and I happened to be in the bureau. So I was able to pull some, you know, make some notes and stuff from it. And I remember it very well. So, so getting back to the scenes, we secure the room and everything. Fire rescue comes in because he's still alive. She, they come in, they pronounce her deceased. She's been shot. She's shot one time and she's lying on the ground. She's deceased. The subject or the boyfriend who ended up shooting himself. However, he didn't die uh, initially. Well, he didn't die. They roll him over. They start working him. We notice, actually, my partner noticed that on his upper left chest, he had a tattoo that was like a day or two old. Oh my gosh. Of a black female laying in the exact same pose that she's in naked with panties on only red panties. And she had red panties. And the same thing he wrote on the wall is tattooed on his chest. Like it takes up his whole chest. So he like planned this. Yeah, this was, yeah. So that's crazy. I, the whole time you were telling this, I just assumed it was like, you know, Pat heat of the moment, like they got in a fight, but he like, he fucking got it tattooed on him. What a fucking crazy psychopath. Right. Yeah. So we kind of noticed that. And like, at first it didn't like sink in, like we saw it. 
whatever. But then as they were working him, my buddy was like, Hey, that she's laying just like, and so we, you know, we started really looking at it before they took him out of there. And we're like, holy shit. Unfortunately, he was already transported. I don't know if it became part of the case file. I'm sure they took pictures of it. And, you know, I'm sure it became part of the file because to me, that's a pretty big, you know, part of, of this entire. Well, you know, it, ba- it basically yeah. proves that he premeditated it. Right. You, t- right. you got it all tattooed on you before you did it. Right. I mean, he posed her the same, dressed her that like took off her clothes, the same color underwear. Everything was, it was very, it was one of those almost, we always joke around the final destination. Yeah. Like when we had no crashes and stuff. I don't want to say it was like a final destination thing, but it's just one of those like twilight zone type of like, you see it on the wall you're and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, it's tattooed on this guy and he's just killed this girl. And like, it's one of those like, really like, you're like, what the, like, what the hell? Yeah. Like what the fuck? Well, it's crazy too, because it's something that like, you know, like we always say, can't make this shit up, but it's like something that you would literally see in like CSI or like, a true crime movie that or yeah. you know that's or it's like, like not almost real. like a science that like a science fiction horror movie or yeah, yeah like that's something either. that you would see and be like god that's so unbelievable like you know that would never happen well i saw it with my own fucking eyes so so basically the rest of the night you know we back out and you know we secure everything and secure the, the house and you know get the daughter out we contact homicide detectives they respond and they do their thing we explain to them you know like what we did because they had at first they didn't really like they talked to my partner and basically he told them, you know, this is what we were dispatched to blah, blah, blah. But then they just started doing their thing and they really didn't talk to everybody initially. So I overheard two of the detectives talking, man, I don't know, like the gates broke in and the door's been kicked in. And and I go, I did that. And I did the gate and my partner did the door and they looked at me like, what? I go, yeah, if you, I mean, if you talk to us, I'll tell you the whole, you know, (laughs) like what happened, you know, like, I don't want to say that they were like excluding us or dismissing us or whatever, but they were so focused on doing their investigation that, or gathering the evidence from inside the house that there was a couple pieces to that puzzle that, you know, I was able to clarify for them. So it kind of, then it started making sense as to, to what happened. Right. So, So basically that was you know, we, we were on that call all night naturally, cause that was, you know, a big scene and we, you know, naturally that investigation took a while. So, um, what the investigation revealed was that Miss Hercules and hold on, Mr. hold on one. I, I have a quick question before sure. the, so the daughter that they found upstairs, that was both of, that was both of their daughters. Yes. yes that's the child they had in common. It's the only, the only child that I know of that she had. That makes it even more fucked up for on his part, because the fact that you planned this whole thing and you like knew that your poor daughter was upstairs at the very least listening to it all right like that's evil evil shit right i'm sure they were you know screaming and whatever the gunshot because in that first pop they heard was the gunshot right him, him shooting her the second gunshot was him shooting himself while i was there like he you know, did that. So, um, which that's part of the reason why I remember this case so well, which I'll, you know, I'll talk at the end about it, but his hand is the one that you saw hit the glass, his hand. Yeah. Not hers. yeah it was, um, it was covered in blood, her blood from him beating her. Cause he beat her with the, with the barbell. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, I assumed that. So yeah, which, uh, you know, that's like the chain of events, which is what they determined. And then when he shot himself, it was his non, it was turned out to be his left hand. Cause he was right-handed it was his left hand that hit. And I still remember and, and thinking about it, I'm like, it was the left hand. Cause you know, looking at the back of my left hand, it's exactly how the, you know, how it hit the glass and, and, right. and did that whole thing. So that whole part of, believe it or not, that hand slap, is the part that like freaked me out the most. Like it so caught me off guard that like not going in and not, you know, not the unknown of what I was going to find in it, but that because you're focused on trying to 
take all this stuff in and all of a sudden you hear like and it, and it was loud man it was like it was like a, a, a slap like you know like a loud bah, like i mean anybody who's had a sliding glass door like knows that you know my kids can barely like bump into it and it's loud right so you know so when that happened and naturally you know it you know pointed or the the sounds coming towards me or towards us it was like very loud and i was like holy shit you know and that and a gunshot you know a half a second before whatever you know it was like the whole thing was just like what the fuck is going on here so what they find is is that the um they're not married miss hercules and mr ten they just have this child in common but they're in the process of breaking up or she's trying to break up with him it's either a breakup or somebody gets caught cheating that's you know majority of the time starts uh, a lot of these issues i mean there's a whole you know there's all kinds of reasons why people fight but in this case she had made in the days prior, she had conversations with her sisters and with her family. He wasn't violent in the past, but that he was kind of, you know, starting to act a little, you know, weird. But not physically abusive. No, no, just but acting like odd and becoming angry. And because, you know, she's she was trying to end it. You know, it, it wasn't going well. It wasn't it wasn't an amicable split by any means of the, you know, the imagination. So do you know why? Maybe you're going to get to it. But do you know why they were breaking up? No, that's. Okay. It's not in, in any of the notes that I have, and it's probably in one of the family interviews, but I didn't have access to those. So I, I couldn't tell you why they were breaking up. But, but what they found on the night of this incident, he shows up and they start arguing. And basically they're arguing that the child's up already asleep, apparently, or at least up there hiding or, or whatever she's doing. They're arguing. She runs in to go uh, lock her, locks herself into the bedroom. The, the master. The master bedroom. He fires around into the door or into the bedroom and this is prior to officers arriving she exits the bedroom now this part we don't know if she went out the glass door or if she came out the the bedroom like the front bedroom door but she tried to run out the back which is where he caught up with her and that's where he beat her with this like he knocked her down and he beat her head in with the dumbbell when that happened he drags her back into the room and after you know seeing the scene and stuff he dragged her through like the living room and back into the bedroom and at that point i guess he's po- that's when he's posing her and i guess disrobing her or whatever i mean i don't know how she was dressed at the time that that happened so once he has her kind of laying there and posed well i'm sure she i'm sure he did it just because if they're breaking up i doubt she was like walking around in her underwear you know what i mean All right so as he's doing that the officers are arriving he shoots her and kills her that's the pop they heard so they were literally on the scene when he, they were he on the scene. Correct. That was the, that was the first. There was three shots. First one was into the door. Then he beats her with the with the dumbbell on the on the patio, brings her back in, and then shoots her and kills her as the officers are arriving or you know getting there. Do you know where he shot her? I don't remember. Okay. No, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to look. I'm looking at her and I can see her, but I can't remember where the wound was. I want to say it was in the head or somewhere in the face area, but she had a lot of blood there. But I don't know if that was from the blunt force from the, you know, the barbell or, or the gunshot. But basically, so now this is happening as they're there or as they're arriving, he walks out the bloody footprints that I see outside. He walks out and he walks through her blood, which is why there's, he's wearing socks and it collects all the blood, which is why we have, and he goes to the wall and he sees that the cops are there arriving. So he runs back inside. Let me back up right after he beats her. He calls a sister and, and an aunt and tells them, confesses that he just killed but her. his own aunt and sister. No, hers, hers. Oh, hers. Her family calls her family. And they're like, he was very agitated and very, very angry or whatever. And that he confessed that he just killed Hercules and that he was going to kill himself. One of them stayed on the phone with him and tried talking to him, but he ended up hanging up. They both called the police, which is that's why we're getting multiple calls. When the call first came out, it was several family members. 
because he had called. And that's why he was saying that um, when they were dispatching to it, that's why it was in emergency mode because he was making threats to kill her and, and kill him. So fast forward now back to where he goes out to the wall and with in the bloody socks and the, and the footprints and he runs, you know, goes back inside. Right as he does that and goes inside is when the, the timeline's kind of like when I arrive and he's inside, goes back into the room and there's kind of like bloody footprints all over the, the first floor, like through the kitchen to the, to the front, like the, where the window is that we came through. So he kind of went around the house. I don't know, looking at us or or what he was doing, trying to maybe look for an escape. Maybe just like pacing, like not knowing what to do, you know what right. I mean? Panicking, freaking out or whatever, like, oh shit, I just did this or whatever. And in the chain of events, he goes in back into the master bedroom, closes the door and locks it. That's when I come through the side. He ends up taking the gun, um, but he shoots himself and he falls over. Like he ends up falling over her. And as he went forward, his hand that's when he slaps the glass and he's on top. All this transpires. Paramedics come. They transport him to, to the trauma center. And he's in critical condition and he ends up surviving. He's in the hospital for a very long time, but he's finally brought to court for his arraignment. I was actually there. But um, um he did a success. Like he didn't just graze his head. Like he like he, shot himself in he, the head. He just happened to survive. Correct. He, he blew part of his brain off and his he's missing part of his skull. It's like his head is now permanently like dented in from where he lost that part of his skull and, and brain. Um, when he showed up to court the first time, they wheeled him in in a, in a wheelchair and he literally had a helmet on because they had to remove that piece of skull. And he had like an open, like his head was open at the time. Wow. Um, yeah. So at that point, the judge, they, they pass it over. He needed to be like medically evaluated and, and all that stuff to see if he was competent to stand trial naturally because, you know, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Like, is he was is he mentally can he speak and all that or he was speaking, but not I, I didn't know him beforehand. So I don't know if he already had, but he did speak a lot slower and his movements and everything were naturally, you know, a lot more definitely like slower, more exaggerated. But I, again, I don't know. I, you know, I didn't know him beforehand, so I don't know if he was already that way or what the case may be, but the judge held it over for him to be medically evaluated, which he was medically evaluated over the course of several years. And then the trial process began and basically he pled not guilty and they took him to trial. It took several years for him to go to trial because of like the brain injury and all that. Yeah, he ended up being uh, convicted on in 2006, so it was four years later. I don't know. Unfortunately, the, the case disposition doesn't say like what his defense was, but he pled not guilty and they ended up... I actually spoke to one of the... Uh, he's a sergeant in the bureau now. He actually worked the case as a detective way back then. We discussed this briefly and he said, oh yeah, we ended up having... He survived and we ended up having to take him to... You know, he went to trial and we got a conviction. So they did have a trial. Unfortunately, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what his defense was, but there was no defense. I mean, we caught him red-handed and you know with all the circumstances and everything well and i'm sorry it's pretty hard to get out of something when you a few days prior got a tattoo of the murder scene right so i believe all of that you know played a part of again i you know i didn't get a chance to see the actual case file so but i'm sure that was in there but essentially once the trial was going he ended up pleading guilty um he changed his mind and he didn't want to take the chance of, I guess he was looking at the death penalty, but he pled guilty to both the charges of second degree murder. They pled it down to second degree murder and armed burglary. And he was uh, convicted and sentenced to 45 years in prison. But why did he, they add on armed burglary? Because he armed himself or he went there and broke in. He wasn't a resident because they were broken up. Oh, I thought armed. he still lived there. So he no, doesn't. No, no. no, you know, he didn't live there because they were able to charge the armed burglary. But he did he did spend time there in the past. But according to family members, he had been gone for a while. He didn't have residency there as far as like he didn't have clothes and, and stuff still there. So 
as, as the trial began, I guess his attorneys told him, listen, you might want to reconsider because if you get found guilty in the jury trial, you're looking at death. So he ended up pleading to 45 years. So he got 45 years to life and he's currently scheduled to his release date is July 27th of 2047. So he still has 26 years to, to go. So, well, and I'm assuming even if he were to get parole, which I doubt, but he, I'm assuming that he'd be like pretty old by then. Yeah, from from his date of birth, he's a few years younger than me. So it looks like when he gets out, he'll be if he survives and he gets out at 45 years or at that date, he'll be like in his mid 70s, 73. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, I doubt I doubt he'll be getting out, but no, I do have a picture of him. So this picture, it's actually like a mugshot, basically, right? Well, yeah, it's his it's his prison intake picture, which is is you know public record. You can I'll po- I'll post it on Instagram, but it's wild. Like I like you can literally see half of his skull is like missing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like it's, it's wild that he's still like alive. Like just looking at it now. Well, I hope his recovery was extremely painful. I hope that he still experiences pain every single day. Like fuck him. The reason this case kind of bothered me. Two main reasons. One was the little girl upstairs. And, you know, having to endure that and God knows how long he had been there, like, and them arguing before all this transpired, because we got there, we got there pretty quick from when the calls, the attack, the killing and stuff was already kind of in progress when we got the call after he made the calls to the family. So when I got there, even though she was already dead and I, and I spoke to the investigators about it, like he was prepared for it. So he was going to probably do it regardless of whether we got there in time or not. But the fact that he also then shot himself while we were still trying to figure out what we had, you know, I guess that because I didn't act fast enough is how I like how I took it, even though I did everything you know correctly or to, you know, to the best of my ability with the information I had at the time. But it stuck with me. It was like, man, five, you know, maybe five minutes before it would have been a different outcome or, yeah. you know, but the, and then the, the little girl thing at the time was just, you know, it was like when children are involved in just a totally innocent victim. And then I was also on the scene where the, her brother showed up and they, they notified him. And just, I remember him and how he reacted and, and the crying and, and like just the totality that was like one of the first murder scenes that i was there and i experienced all of that like i'd been 100 deceased person calls before but that one was like it was occurring while i was there you know usually we get there and it's after the fact person's already dead or they've been dead for a week or or whatever but this one was like shit was happening as we were like they were calling us like you know to try to help this woman and it just it just kind of always stuck with me but unfortunately horrifically miss hercules you know lost her life and how old was she do you know 32 she's the same age as me yeah. Like now. Yeah. And from the little bit that I was able to read from the family and stuff, big, fa- big, you know, Haitian family came over from Haiti. I think she was either a nurse or studying to be a nurse, you know, a lot of sisters and, you know, like a big family. So Haitians are like very family oriented and they're very big family. So it's sad, you know, very, very tragic. And then naturally this, this girl is growing up without her mom and, you know, without her dad, without her dad, she's better off, but the mom is right. like, Right. But the fact that they're both that they're both gone. I'm sure that like scars her for life. You know, like that's not something that she's going to forget. Of course, this was one of the you know, like I said, this was just one of the ones that always stuck with me. I always kind of like played it over in my brain. What could I have done differently? But I wasn't the first one there. So I understand that I did everything I could do, but you always want to try to do better. You always want to try to do more. So well, and I, I think that's a natural, at least for somebody who's like not a sociopath, like that's a natural, I think, reaction to have is like, you always are like, God, if I had just like been there five minutes earlier, if I had like, you know, with any tragedy, it's like, right. I think everyone like thinks that but you way. Know, I can, 
I can say like throughout my whole career, I could say that I probably bought every call that I've ever gone on. Like, right. man, if I could, if I would have gotten here five minutes earlier, you know, maybe this person wouldn't have, you know, killed themselves or yeah. this kid wouldn't have run away or, you know, this guy wouldn't have punched his wife or, you know, like, you know, we can always play what if or, you know, the second guessing, but it's, you just can't in this job because you'll, you know, you'll fucking absolutely lose your mind. But well, and I think cool. like the bottom line is that there's always going to be evil people. And I think that no matter what, like when people are like hell bent to do something, they're going to do it. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, You're 100% correct about that. And at the end of the day, we're reactive, especially to 911 calls. We're strictly reactive. We're not proactive in that sense. So we're always going to get somewhere after. I've had those calls where you like want to do more, you can't do more, you're not allowed to do more or, you know, and it's, it sucks. It's like, you know, especially when people are like, asking you to help them they have no answers and you don't have the answers either you're like you know i'm sorry i'm doing the best i can but we can only do so much and so but this was um this was one that's been with me for you know since it happened so i hope i can find a picture of viola just because yeah like i said i i wasn't able to get the case file i don't naturally the pictures that'll be in there are not, are not anything that we can show well, yeah, I wouldn't want to show anything like yeah, that, no. but like, it'd be cool to find like, a you know, nice yeah. picture of her. Yeah. If I can find one, it, I'll post it. If not, I'm yeah. definitely going to post his mugshot with his crazy head. Yeah. So. It's quite a sight. Yeah. Um, like I said, I hope it fucking hurts him a lot still. Well, that was a rough one. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's, it was real. It, you know, it really happened and still with me 20 years later. Thankfully, like the one, I guess the one, I guess, silver lining or one is that the daughter wasn't injured. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, emotionally, of course. Emotionally, yeah. I mean, her, her world was turned upside down that night. So, you know, I hope she's doing well. I I don't know. I I honestly hope that her brain blocked out the whole thing. Maybe. I don't understand. I don't understand that type of violence, like why it occurs. Like I just, you know. I th- yeah, I just think some people are like so evil that will yeah. people who are nor I shouldn't say normal, quote unquote, but like who are empathetic, just people. I think it's really hard for people to understand that evil when you don't have it yeah. in you. Right. It happens to both men and women, but it's like they break like they lose somebody and they feel like it's like the end of the world or like nobody else can have them. And, you know, it's like which that's the thing that I don't understand personally, because to me, when I break up with somebody, my mentality is like, I want nothing to do with you. Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, I'm not friends with any of my exes. That being said, it's because I had a lot of shitty exes. Like, but well, I'm the same way. Like, I'll, I'll, I don't talk to any of my exes, but I work with people that are like friends with their ex-wives and ex girl And I'm like, I'm like, how? how? Like, but see, that's the thing. Like, I understand, obviously, if you if you have, I, I don't have any children with any of my exes. So like, Obviously, I think that's a little different because you have right. to like be, yeah. you know, to, you have to continue talking, obviously, that like could still be a shitty relationship after the fact. Oh, you know, oh, yeah, know. I know. But I'm saying like, you know, I understand like wanting right. to have a good one in that case. But right. that's why it's crazy to me when I hear these stories of like, oh, if I can't have you, no one will. Because in whenever I've broken up, I'm like, I don't give a shit who the fuck has you as long as it ain't me. Bye. Right. Like, yeah, it's so. just crazy to me that people I'm like, just I move on, bro. Just- Right. The people that, well, like in this case, I guess, because she was breaking up with him, you know, I think it's probably how it, you know, had he was like breaking up with her because he wanted to be with somebody else, this wouldn't be the case. We wouldn't, you know, be discussing this case, but in the majority of the stock, they're either they're in like stalking or whatever, they're either batshit crazy and they just fucking do it to do it. Or they have issues with rejection and, you know, they think it's the end of the world or they think that they're never going to, you know, whatever their reasons are. I mean, we won't understand because we don't have that problem. 
<laughs> no, well, no, I mean, no, listen, I, de- I deal with all that shit. And, but I, I, I don't understand it. I don't think anybody does. I don't think psychiatrists, I mean, they can say they probably do, but I just don't get, and it's only because I say that because I'm not that way. So, but it usually turns out badly when people are that way. So you're like, in this case, it fucking ended horribly. It's like, he couldn't just take rejection and like move on. Right. Right. Not only did he kill her, but he fucked up the daughter's life, her family's life, his family's life, his own life over what breaking up. You know how many other women are out there and you know, like, yeah. how many other men and you know, I get it. It's tragic and it's, it's hard to breakups are hard. I've, you know, I've gone through them and stuff, but it's not the end of the world and you don't have to kill somebody to. Well, and there's, <laughs> there's plenty of too. fish in the sea. Like if you don't want to be with me, then guess what? I'm going to find somebody who does. So, and there's plenty of people out there. Exactly. But I do think it's good to cover cases like this because I think it like brings awareness to like domestic violence issues. And like, we've talked about that before, but you know, I think it's important to like talk about it and get it out there. Yeah. We need to, yeah. On many, many issues, not just domestic violence, but all kinds of mental health, all kinds of, you know, different things. We need to be more open about getting people help and, you know, and being understanding and, you know, just kind of like patient with people. And, you know, you have to try to be compassionate, you know, because you don't know what that person is going through. You know? Yeah. So-, so if you're listening today and you go through like a drive through or something, pay it forward, do something good in Viola Hercules's name. There you go. So on a, a happier note. Yes. Moving on. Um, we have two questions today from Karen, and she actually is from Ireland, one of our favorite places. Hey, I love Ireland. So Karen has a question for you and for me. OK, so Mark, she says, why did you want to become a cop? Oh, that's a good question. I first thought about being a cop when I was um, younger, when um, as I was growing up, my parents had gotten divorced. And my buddy, my best friend growing up, his father was a police officer down here. And he kind of was like my father figure through, he was like, he coached our, our baseball team. And like, I spent like every weekend over with them and they took me on trips. And so he was kind of like, you know, he was kind of like my, my father, my dad wasn't uh, in, in the picture for me as a kid a lot. So he was always there. And I just kind of always respected how he looked in uniform and how he, he just presented himself. And he, you know, he was just kind of like my hero in a sense that, you know, he helped people and it was cool. He looked good in his uniform and stuff. And I've always had a tendency towards helping people. Like I was in the army as well. And I just always had kind of a duty to serve. And when I got out of the army, I started applying and was lucky enough to get hired and, and I've been doing it, you know, ever since. So, but yeah, so the, the, Karen, that's, that's why. Um, Karen, my- that was a good question because I, I actually never even knew that. So the next question Karen asked is why she, it was for me. She said, why did you want to start a podcast? Karen, you had some, you had that's, two really good questions. That's a good question. So I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know the, really the answer, the true answer. I have always been into true crime. Like even when I was a kid, my mom, she was always watching true crime. Like she's really into it. Like I am. So I think honestly, like the reason I'm probably into true crime so much is because of her, just because growing up, we always watched it. Like we always watched like cops and like my favorite growing up. Do you remember when I was like obsessed with CSI Las Vegas? So I used to, I was obsessed. And then one time my parents went to Las Vegas and they brought me back like a CSI t-shirt from there, but they've revamped it. The new CSI coming back. I know. So me and Logan have been watching it like every week. Okay. (laughs) But so I always loved true crime and I 
got into listening to true crime podcasts because what else am I going to listen to? So some of my favorites are like Morbid and um, I love like true crime obsessed. There's just like a a lot of them that I I enjoy listening to. And actually we were visiting in Vegas and I was, I was telling my dad, I was like, I, 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 and my mom, I was like, I want to, I've always wanted to start like a true crime podcast. And I, I think it was actually my mom who was like, you know, you guys should do one together because, you know, it'd be interesting perspective to have like an actual like detective and I was like you know that is cool because out of all the true crime podcasts I've listened to uh, most of them don't you know have like an actual somebody who works in true crime like talking about it right so that was kind of how like it came about and it, it kind of appealed to me because I listened there used to be like this morning show that I would listen to in here and they would like they would be watching like the local news and something would be happening with the police and they would be coming up with all the wrong reasons of why things were being done and i was like man if i could call in and tell them why or like they'll say what's the law for this and it's like damn it i know that answer but you know so it always like irritated me it was like these knuckleheads don't even know well and even like there's times where i'll be listening to other true crime podcasts and they'll be like you know telling a story or whatever i mean like i don't understand why the cops did that or like did this and I like even as a listener, I'm like, man, it'd be cool to like have an actual police officer or or somebody who works in law enforcement to be able, like, oh, well, this is why we do it. And this is like the protocol. And that's why we do this. Or even to just say, you're right. That is fucking weird. They shouldn't be doing that. That's not the protocol. Which I'll say as well. Uh, yeah. So but we've had a lot of fun doing it. So I, I'm, yeah, I enjoy it. I'm really glad that we took the jump, the leap and did it. So, yeah. Yep. So and we get to hang out. So. Yeah, every well, sometimes a couple times a week. Well, depending every time. Yep. Well, thank you, Karen. Those were like two really good questions. Very good questions. Absolutely. So I guess until next week. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Bye. Bye.